you're wrong, Jesus. Now, John Martin is a brilliant leader, a a brilliant man and a great leader. And yet there are times, if you know John Martin, when you're around him, where his comedic relief and his creativity kind of blend together and you just, you just kind of look at him and you go, are you being serious right now? I, I don't really know how to take you. He has that kind of Michael Scott way about him. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. I'm not recommending anything. But where you look at him and go, are you serious? And then staring at him, you go, oh, 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 you are serious. You, you do think that. You do believe that would be a good idea. And years ago, we were trying to think of a way to promote our college ministry, specifically an access service where we were uh, teaching the Word of God verse by verse. And we, we wanted to say to college students, like, this is serious teaching. This isn't just some cotton candy, weak, feel-good, participation, participation trophy talk. Like this is the word of God. We're going to teach the word of God to college students and then answer their questions when we get through. And we were trying to think of a way to promote this. What would be a good idea on campus to get college students interested in this? Something that is different from what they're used to. And John stood up and he stopped everything. And he said, hold on. I have a great idea. We need shirts that on the front say, you're wrong, Jesus. And there was silence, just like right now. And we stared at him thinking, what in the world? And, and, and we're going to have these shirts. We're going to walk around on campus with you're wrong, Jesus, on the front of our, our, our shirts. And that's going to draw college students in. That's going to get them here. Right off the bat, you're wrong, Jesus. Now, when he first said it, I heard it wrong because I thought he said, you are wrong, comma, Jesus. Like Jesus is wrong. And this was some unique, creative, creative way to get college students interested. And we were sort of tricking them. And I, I was like, you're wrong, Jesus. That, that's not really what we're going for as a church. That's not what we're going for in preaching the gospel. Jesus is right. And he said, no, no, you, meaning every one of us, we are wrong, dash Jesus, quote Jesus. Jesus is the one saying to us, you're wrong. And that's, they're going to say, what in the world? We're wrong. And they're going to come and hear why they're wrong. And they're going to just flock in because of these shirts. Now, at that moment, I was like, "Who?" this was early on in our ministry. I was like, are we just going to get ideas like this over and over again? What in the world? But then when I thought about it, we are wrong. That is the truth. And you, you can't even come to Jesus until you're willing to say, I am wrong. And so I guess John said, let's just get right down to it, right off the bat. Just tell everybody they're wrong. And Jesus is right. But that is the message. It begins not by affirming us, but by confronting our sin. 
You can't even understand the gospel until you understand I'm wrong. I'm wrong in my sin. And Jesus is the only one who is right. And that's why I need Jesus. Now, it may not be popular to tell someone they're wrong. We don't like doing that. We cower from that. But that's exactly what Jesus spent much of his ministry doing. And you're wrong, Jesus, actually comes from a quote where Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees. And he declares to them, you are wrong, right off the bat. They don't understand what he is teaching. They don't understand who he is. They're opposing him. And Jesus confronts all of their teaching and says, you're wrong because you neither know the scriptures or the power of God. You don't know these things. You're wrong. They missed Jesus because they thought they were right. They were not following Jesus because they affirmed themselves. And Jesus steps on the scene and he says, you're wrong. Admit it. You can't follow me until you understand you're wrong. And as we've seen the last few weeks, this is the statement that Jesus is pronouncing over Jerusalem. He walks into a city that is bowing down and praising him, throwing cloaks in front of him, declaring Hosanna to him, and everything seems great. But Jesus turns to the disciples and said, no, it's like that dead fig tree over there. A lot of leaves, looks good from the outside, but it's dead worship. It's not real. And then he goes into the temple and he begins to drive out all that is wrong in the temple all that is not right in the temple. And then he tells his disciples, he will replace the temple. The mountain of the temple that is before them on Mount Moriah, he will take it and cast it into the sea of destruction and you will have direct access to God. But everything you see going on in Jerusalem, all of the religion here, he says to it, you're wrong. Quote, Jesus. That is the statement he's billboarding. And today, as we get into our text, we see that his primary interaction today is with a group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of 71 judges. They pretty much made up a Supreme Court in Jerusalem, and they served under the high priest. And this group of people, they had religious authority. They oversaw the sacrificial system. They oversaw the priesthood in the temple. And Jesus steps on the scene and says, you're wrong. The sort of sacrifice that is happening in the temple, it's wrong. You're charging the poor. You're keeping out the Gentiles. My house is to be a house of prayer for the nations. You are wrong. The Sanhedrin also had judicial authority. They interpreted the scriptures and they made judgments and laws for the Jews. Jesus steps on the scene and says, you're wrong. You don't understand the scriptures. All of the scriptures point to me and you can't make judgment about the scripture or anyone else until you see me. You're wrong in what you're doing. The Sanhedrin also had political authority. They had made alliances with Herod, and that's what we see even in the construction of this wonderful temple. They had made political alliances with Herod so that they would have power. And Jesus steps on the scene and says, you're wrong. You're wrong. 
This isn't about the will of the people, the majority of rule. This is to be a temple where my father's presence rules and reigns, and I will take this spectacular temple, and I will tear it down and build up something better. Jesus says you're wrong. And that leads to the interaction he has today. Notice verse 27. They came again to Jerusalem. Now this is Wednesday of Passover week. Jesus is commuting from Bethany probably staying with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. And he's moving in and out of the city during Passover week with his disciples. And they come to Jerusalem again. And notice, as he was walking in the temple. Now, what Jesus is doing at this point, he is walking, as we talked about, 35 acres of temple property. And Jesus on this Wednesday is walking around the temple and he is teaching the word of God. He is declaring the kingdom is at hand in his person. We see from the other gospel writers that he is performing miracles. He's casting out demons in the temple. He is healing the sick. He is is preaching the gospel. In my flesh, the kingdom is at hand. There are children in the temple who are walking up to Jesus and declaring, Hosanna! And Jesus looks at them and says, out of the mouth of babes, the praise of the Lord is proceeding. That's what's going on as Jesus is walking around the temple. He's teaching the word of God. But notice the chief priest, the one who oversees the temple, and the scribes, the one who interpret the word of God in the temple, and the elders, the one who rule over the temple. This is a delegation from the Sanhedrin. The text says they came to him. Now that word came, it, it means with malicious intent. And so they show up for work that day. And they see this ragtag group following this rabbi around, the Galilean, the Nazarene, and he's doing what he's always doing. The kingdom is at hand, performing miracles. People are in awe of him. And at this point, they've had enough. And they search him out, and they're looking for him. And they approach him, not to, could you please teach us? No, they come to trap him. They come to question him. And just for a moment, consider what's going on there. All of the scripture that has been studied and read in the temple for thousands of years, all of the word of God that had been declared and read in the temple, the tabernacle, And finally, the true tabernacle, the true temple in flesh and blood is there. Finally, the authoritative word of God in flesh is in the place God has designated his presence to be. And those who have authority attack it. They push it out. They don't want anything to do with it. They have made themselves an authority greater than the word of God. So they don't see the word of God. They don't understand it. They want it away. Get it out. Get him out. Verse 28. And notice what they say. They said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Now that is the key word in our passage today, authority. And it means origin or source of power. It is the one who has the freedom to to make decisions, to rule. The one who has the right 
to judge. It is authority, the freedom to act and assert power. And those who think they have authority over the temple come to the one who is the authoritative temple and they say, by what right? By what power do you do these things? In whose name are you doing them? Who do you represent? What rabbi, what leader, what elder, what scribe, what priest? Who in the world gave you authority to come in here, drive out all the animals? You've bankrupt us in one week. You're causing disruption. Who gave you the authority to do this? Now think about what's going on. The one who has all authority is being questioned. We are the highest authority in the land and you're acting like you own the place. You're doing all of these things. Now blasphemy, it is the claim to false authority. And it was to be punished by execution. And that's exactly what they're setting Jesus up for here is for him to claim that he has some kind of authority that he doesn't have over the temple, which would lead to his death. You see, Jesus had claimed to forgive sin, that he had the authority to be able to do that. When Jesus would teach, he would say, truly I say to you. He wasn't quoting other rabbis. He wasn't referring to other authority. He would even say to the religious, you've heard it said, but I say. He has declared that he is the authoritative word of God. He has declared that, that he has the authority of God himself. And so the, this group from the Sanhedrin, this is a slam dunk for them. This is gonna be easy for them. This logically, this isn't even going to take much time because we're going to walk up to him and say, by what authority? And he's going to claim again that he's the son of God. He can forgive him. It's over. He'll be executed. That, that, that's what they're thinking. But notice Jesus forces the issue of authority. And Jesus behind all of this is doing this himself. You don't just barge into the temple and do all of these things unless you have authority. And so the question is, does he have this authority or not? You see, the religious leaders are playing games. Jesus isn't playing games. He's forcing the issue. Do I have authority to be here or do I not? And that's the same thing going on in your life right now. Because we've gathered here today and we have sung songs and we have talked about having our sins forgiven before God, the, the body of Jesus broken for us, the blood of Jesus shed for us, that we could have all of our sins forgiven and we could live in this kingdom with him forever. We have declared that that's true. But if there is one who can tell you he can forgive your sins and give you eternal life, he is the one who demands allegiance because he's the only one who has authority. And so today in your life right now, Jesus is pushing his authority on you. And he is asking you the question right now, do I have authority or not? Am I who I say I am? Because you can't claim 
He has the right to forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life and not give him authority. Oh, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Give me heaven. But those other things, I think they're just your opinion. No. If he can die for your sins and raise from the dead and credit you his righteousness, he has every right to tell you to love your wife as Christ loved the church, even when you don't want to. To submit to your husband, to respect him and his leadership, even when you don't want to. To flee sexual immorality, even when you don't want to. To manage your time and money according to his priorities, even when you don't want to. To work as unto the Lord, to stop grumbling and complaining, to stop whining. He has the authority to do so. If you're going to say he can forgive you of your sins, then he says... You don't even have to ask me by what authority. I've already told you because I've forgiven you of your sins. I've died for your sins. The gospel gives me authority to tell you what to do. And as God's king, he has authority over the temple. Notice verse 29. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. (laughs) Now, there is some swagger going on here. I mean, you can imagine when the people see The rulers and scribes and elders coming out from their chamber and they're walking around looking for Jesus and they approach Jesus and 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 if you're if you don't like conflict you're in the background going oh my goodness let's go get something to eat let's I don't want to be involved in this interaction but Jesus doesn't back down he's not intimidated by these men and they ask him a question and he asserts his authority and he says no 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 You answer me. I'm actually the authority here. And he says, I will ask you one question or one word. And what he's saying here is, let's get one thing straight. Let's get down to, to what really matters. You answer me. You tell me something. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Now notice Jesus doesn't answer immediately, which we would say, Why doesn't he just say, I'm the son of God. I'm God's son. I'm the Messiah. Well, he would have been immediately drug out and killed. But Jesus is in control. And Jesus knows what he is doing here. And he says to them, verse 30, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? You answer me. You prove to me your authority. What's your view of the Baptist? What do you think about John? You guys know the scriptures. You guys know religion. You guys are the spiritual gurus. Well, what about the Baptist? What about John the Baptist? Surely, as the highest religious authorities of the day, you can answer this question. Was John's baptism from heaven, from God? Or was he just some homeless, apocalyptic, backwoods preacher down by the river? Who was John? Tell me. Now, we know John was an end times, bug-eating, down by the Jordan River prophet. And we know that John was described as a voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. The king is coming. The king is coming. Everybody get out of the way. The king is coming. That was John's message. 
He was what the prophet of Malachi 400 years earlier, before there was silence from God, said there will be one who will come crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the king. And this is John the Baptist. And John's baptism, as Jesus refers to here, was to be preparation for his ministry. You prepare for this king that is coming in. This king is coming into rule. You prepare for his kingdom by repenting. Repent. Turn from your sin and turn to the king. You're over here in your sin. You have allegiance to other kingdoms. You are serving idols. Turn from your sin and turn to the king. And what is the sign of this repentance? Baptism. You immerse yourself, declaring that that king is going to come judge me and immerse me in judgment. I deserve his judgment, and I symbolically declare it in baptism, but I am raised up to serve him. This cleansing that is actually an immersion confesses, I deserve to be flooded under God's wrath. And even the most religious went out to take part in that baptism. Remember, John looked at the Pharisees and said, you're a bunch of snakes. What are you doing here down by the river? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This is just an act for you. But he was preparing the way of the king. But John also announced the arrival of the king. Every king has a prophet. We see that in the Old Testament. Every king has a prophet that says, here he is. This is God's king by the authoritative word of God. And John was that prophet for Jesus. When Jesus comes down to the Jordan River, John stops everybody and he says, look, look right there. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is in flesh and blood. That's who John said Jesus was. According to John, he couldn't get down and tie Jesus' sandals because he was unworthy. This is the king. That's who John said Jesus was. And so here's the question for the, for the scribes, the elders, the chief priests. Do you believe John or not? He doesn't even give him his word. He says, what do you think about John's word? Do you believe John or not? If John had authority from heaven, then Jesus is God's king. Either he's wrong or the religious leaders are wrong. And notice what they do. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe in him? So they go back to their chambers. They have a conference meeting. They zoom in other rabbis from around Jerusalem. What are we going to do? How do we notice he's notice Jesus stalls them with just one question. He's brilliant. You see the authority of Jesus in that, and that he could ask one question and they don't even know what to do with it. And so they get together. What are we going to do? Because if we say from heaven, the response is, why aren't we believing him? If he's a new Isaiah, if he's a new Jeremiah, if he's a new Malachi, Elijah, then why aren't we believing in him? That's the, he's got us. But notice verse 32, but if we say from man, they don't even finish that sentence. So they're in the meeting. They say, we can't say from God because he's going to say, why don't you believe me? From man, oh, you know, we can't even do that. 
Why? Notice, they were afraid of the people. (laughs) The highest authority in the land. And they're scared of the people. They're afraid of the people. For they all held that John really was a prophet. John was the latest, greatest podcast preacher of the day. And everybody, he reminded all of the people of the old time religion. You know, when the prophets stood up and they were crazy and they dressed crazy and they ate bugs and they cried out in the streets. John's just like one of those old time prophets and people loved it. So we can't say he's from man because in Matthew, they say the people will stone us. That is the popularity of John the Baptist who even called out Herod for his sin. Now, so often we get to the point with the religious, the scribes, the elders, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, and we like to think this, they miss Jesus because they were so smart. They miss Jesus because they knew their Bible so well, and they did. But notice Jesus here shows us why they miss him. They're politicians. They're scared of the people. The people have authority over their leadership. They make decisions in light of the voice of the people. And so you have this group of people flaunting around in the temple. They have these magnificent robes. Look how how pretty we are. Look at my robe. It's got gold in it. Look how great I am. And I, I know the scriptures better than anyone. So I have to have authority over you, little peasants. And look at this glorious temple. I got my own office in this place. Look how great I am. And they have this image of greatness, but at the root of it all, they're cowards. The mouthpiece of God on earth is looking to the approval of men to make decisions about the Messiah. Think about that. What do the people say? And this is the very choice before many of us here today as a crowd of people. Will you today say that this is from God? That this is the authoritative word of God on your life? that God has sent this message to you today in the Bible, through the church, in the gospel, that is going to dictate the rest of your life, every square inch of your being, it is the authority of God that comes to me in the gospel. This is from God. Or are you going to say it's from man? Because some of you, that's the decision you're making right now is Okay, he's saying this is from God. This is from heaven. This should be my authority. I don't believe that. I'm not buying that. I don't believe this sort of ragtag get together and I enjoy being here with all of these people in this warehouse. But to say this is kingdom on earth, I ain't saying it. Then why aren't you walking out the door right now? And you would say, well, these are my friends. I like these people. It's just convenient for me. And you're making the same decision these leaders are making. The crowd, people, 
man, that's your authority. That's your authority. And that's the decision before you today. Is this really God's word to you or is it just convenient? Our faith must rest on the authoritative word of God and not the crowd. This is true because God said so and I'm clinging to it and it is my only hope and it will guide every part of my life. What has God said? He is my authority, not my feelings, feelings change. Not tradition, tradition change. And the things we call tradition at one time were fads. And it just changes and changes and changes. Culture changes. One day it's okay to say, in God we trust. Now it's, I don't know if we really trust him. We're going to question him. Actually, we hate him. Culture changes. The world around you changes. Your friend group changes. One day it's okay. I like these people. This is a stage in life I am. My kids are little. They need to be in church. They need to be around these people. And that's guiding your decisions right now. And then one day when those things change, you will no, be nowhere to be found. So what is your authority today? Just, just draw the line. Let's settle it today. Is this from God or is this from man? Why am I doing these things? And we'll give you plenty of time to, to sort all that out. But that is the issue Jesus is going to keep pushing on you. He's going to keep pushing. He's going to keep pushing. He's going to say, do you really believe this? What's your authority? Why are you doing it? Is this really from God? Is this a message of the prophet? Because here's the deal with the leaders. One day the poll said Hosanna. And think about two days later, what were the polls saying? Crucify him. Crucify him. One day the people are for Hosanna. The next day they want to kill him. And these leaders are driven by the people. What is driving you? Is it the authoritative word of God or is it something, someone else? And notice this. I hope as you read through the Gospels and I hope in the Gospel of Mark as we've gone through, sometimes you just look at Jesus and are in awe of what he can do with just a few words. Verse 33, and they answered him, we do not know. <laughs> this would be like walking through Congress into the White House, into the highest authority of the land, speaking just a couple sentences, and everybody shuts up and says, we don't know. He has silenced the temple. He has silenced the greatest authority in Jerusalem. And they're saying, we don't know. And so Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What they are saying here is we have no word about John. We have no word about you. Ultimately, we have no authority. And Jesus says that I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. Here, Jesus says, I'm the only one that matters, really, because I'm the only one who knows. And I'm not going to give you a word from God. I will not be your voice of truth in the temple. He silences the temple. And here we see they answer by not answering. They don't really desire to know the truth. They're trying to trap Jesus. And that was their motive all along. They weren't coming saying, could you please teach us? 
We want to learn from you. We really, we really want to sit down over coffee and figure it all out. No, they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to turn the people against Jesus. They want to do what they want to do. And Jesus says, ain't nobody got time for that. And this is where, I, where we get, a lot of us, in conversation with our friends, family. When we're talking about Scripture, we're talking about the gospel. Where they get to the point where they go, okay, I can't argue with you. And actually, I know what's right. I just don't want to do it. And I'm not talking about secondary issues of theology. I'm talking about clear teaching in Scripture. How to order the home. The reality of hell. The exclusivity of Christ. Meaning Jesus is the only way of salvation. Sexuality. Gender issues. And you open up the Word of God and you get to a point with them. They go, okay, I know what the Bible says, but I really just want to do what I want to do. And how do we know that the Bible is God's Word? It was written by men. Maybe that's just your view. Maybe that's your church's view. Let me go scour the internet for a blog written by someone in their mom's basement to prove you wrong. And you just want to do what you want to do. And you just need to call it what it is. Neither will I tell you by what authority. Because you really don't want to know. How often have you been in those conversations? At the end of the day, you, you, don't, you want an opinion. You don't want repentance. How often do we see that? I want someone to affirm the way that I think, I believe, and I live. I don't want somebody to say, you're wrong, quote Jesus. I don't want that. So I'm going to go find another friend. I'm going to find another counselor. I'm going to find another church. I'm going to find another article. I'm going to find another group of friends. See that all the time. And it's a shunning of Jesus's authority. But here in this section, why John's baptism? Why does Jesus drive to, to John's baptism? Well, remember when Jesus came to be baptized by John? And John said, what in the world? Get out of the water. You're not supposed to be here. We ain't doing it. And Jesus says, no, it's to fulfill all righteousness. I'm coming to identify with my people. And Jesus is plunged under. And Jesus says when he is plunged under, he is picturing the, the death. He will die for his people under the wrath of God. And when he is raised up, what do we see? The heavens part and the voice of God says, behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the spirit of God comes to rest upon him. When Jesus says, what about the baptism of John? He is declaring, what about the word of God? What about the Spirit of God that rested upon me? Do you believe it happened? Do you believe God spoke from the heaven and said, I am his king? And what's the big deal here about the crowds? It's so important in this section to understand why Mark keeps pressing what the crowds want on us. Because the crowds have authority over the rulers. And the power that keeps them from killing Jesus on the mo in the moment is the power of the crowd who's chanting Hosanna. And the power that will lead them to execute Jesus is the power of the crowd that will say crucify him. And when we see the story unfold in two days, on Friday when they're saying, okay, we got two prisoners, we got Barabbas and we got Jesus, which one do you want? And all of a sudden the narrative changes and they say, give us Barabbas, kill him. And we're to say, how in the world did that happen? 
How does that happen in a matter of days? Well, if we know the scriptures, we know how it happens. Acts chapter 2, he was given over to the hands of wicked men by the predetermined plan of God. In the book of Isaiah, it was the Father's will to crush him. In the book of Revelation, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. The only way the crowd will go from Hosanna to crucify him is that Jesus himself gave the religious leaders the heart of the people. Jesus did it. That's what he said to Pilate. He said, who are you? He said, ain't nobody going to take my life from me unless I lay it down. Jesus is the one who's in control of the whole narrative. Jesus is the one who changes the story in one week and gives himself over to the crowd. And when they are chanting Hosanna or when they are chanting crucify, we are to stand back and say he's still in control. He has the authority. You see, authority means love for those who believe in Jesus. To hear, I'm wrong, he's right, is where love begins. I mean, we see that here. The one who has all right and authority is the one we have rebelled against. And the one who has the authority to save you of your sins is the one who gave his authority up. And so you're here today and you say, no, 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 this is passe, all of this talk about authority. No one person can claim authority. There's no one truth. Authority, truth is what I want it to be. And you're just sounding really harsh today. I don't know if I can buy into it. If the call to say I'm wrong seems cruel, then you don't understand the love of God in Christ. Because he dies for the one who says I'm wrong. And if it sounds cruel, you're wrong. It's love. Because you are wrong. And he is right. But he's also good. And he's died for all of us who would say we're wrong.